Have I ever told you about the Israelites? Hmm, the Israelites. Oh yeah, I remember those guys. Weren't they supposed to be God's chosen people? That's what the Bible says. Oh, I bet they always followed God's directions. Ho, ho, ho! You'd think so, wouldn't you? Boy, they shut it down. The Goyim not too much. We rule the land with mighty hands that have the mightiest touch. Call me Meshuggah for noticing a trend. There's certain things you cannot say, so sing them all instead. Well, boy, they shut it down. You show it now, good luck. We are the techno Pharisees, you're just a bunch of schmucks. It's hard not to convince when sizing up our lots. The deck's been stacked, so just relax here, have a muzzle top. And boy, they shut it down, we're going not too much. We rule the land with mighty hands and the mightiest touch. Well, call me the sugar now for noticing your trends. There's certain things you cannot say, so sing them all instead. And boy, they shut it down, you show up now, good luck. We are the techno Pharisees, you're just a bunch of schmucks. It's hard not to convince when sizing up our lots. The next bit stack, so just relax here, have a muzzle top. Boy, they shut it down, the goyim not too much. We rule the land with mighty hands and have the mightiest touch. Call me Meshuggah for noticing a trend. There's certain things you cannot say, so sing them all instead. Mazel Tov, Goyim. Welcome back to the 11th hour. It's Ricky Bobby and Fellingsman. We're back, right in your ear holes with some fresh content here. We've been gone for a little while. Oh, yeah. Life and stuff gets in the way, but your boy Phalanx Man here is now engaged, about to get married. Yeah. Big stuff happening, big stuff happening. Yep, so last time we were here uh, making sweet love to those ear holes. Uh, we were talking about Islam, the religion of the pedophile prophet. If you didn't catch that one, it's well worth it. Little dark, probably want to bring a barf bag. Yeah. But uh, we uh, give you the unvarnished truth you've come to expect here at your boys, the eleventh hour. Oh yeah. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Islam's Abrahamic brother. This is part two in our Abrahamic religions, our three-part Abrahamic religion series that we're doing. We're going to be doing Judaism. Yeah. The best kept secret in America. Yeah, the one thing you're not supposed to talk about. Yeah, and the one thing I think that is so... It's such a secret in America because, um, number one, the Jews only make up uh, between 1% and 2% of the U.S. population. Right. Uh, They're also highly centralized. Um, I mean, you'll find some scatterings around the United States, but generally speaking, they're in insular communities, you know, small neighborhoods in different areas of the U.S., but they're enormously influential. And because they're in insular communities, a lot of people don't have much cultural interaction with them. And so um, they don't get to know a lot about what they believe and their history and um, right. their I practices. Kind of like with, uh, in a sense, kind of like uh, with, the um islam islam sorry yeah, I, you know that's I true. Had a little bit of a brain fart there yeah um, i mean i think the you know the biggest um 
cultural experience Americans have of Islam is terrorist attacks. Yeah, I mean, outside of that, they 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 have these ideas. Maybe a lot of it's yeah. probably based from like what you see in the media and movies and stuff. Right, like, which oh, a lot is a distortion. Islam so. is a peaceful religion. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in the same way, you know, the the Jews have no power. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have no. Don't power say at that. All. It's like <laughs> no influence at all, man. Yeah. No influence at all in America. <laughs> There's certain trends that. Uh, yeah. But we won't get into yeah. all that well, right now. We're... I did want to say one of the biggest culprits, though. I think of keeping Judaism one of the best kept secrets in America. Really, is unfortunately the evangelical Christians. Right. I would agree. Yeah, because there's they just they, they just mean spread well, so much. But they've they've misinformation about yeah. it. I hate using that Orwellian term, but it is true. Yeah, they've been. I think that they mean those well, types though. of yeah they mean well. I think those churches have been infiltrated yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and an we'll we'll probably cover that in our Christianity episode. Right. Yeah, uh, we definitely are going to cover Christian Zionism, but. Uh, Let's yeah. get this uh, kosher roll on a roll. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about the origins of the, uh, the Semites. Semites. <laughs> yeah, now, now, where does that term come from, Semite? Well, you'll, you'll see here in a second. So um, it comes from the name Shem. Now, you may, that may be ringing, those of you Bible nerds out there, maybe ringing a little bing, uh, bell in your head. Uh, Shem was one of the three sons of Noah that are mentioned in the Bible. The three sons of Noah being Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Those are Arabs and Jews were the descendants of Shem. The Africans were the descendants of Ham. And the Indo-Europeans were the descendants of Japheth. Um, there's there's some, some kind of extraneous ethnic groups as well that were descended from those, but uh, those are the three main, main uh, descendant groups of them. And... and uh, and now, uh, thanks to Ricky Bobby, <laughs> we have uh, a special presentation from Genesis chapter 9. So Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was peopled. Noah was the first tiller of the soil. He planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and became drunk, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. He said, Cursed be Canaan, a slave of slaves, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed by the Lord my God be Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. God enlarged Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. 
Yeah, and um, now there's a whole lot of context that verse, and if you want to find out, or that passage, and if you want to find out more about that, I highly recommend giving the uh, Whole Council of God podcast and the Lord of Spirits podcast. Both of those are on Ancient Faith Radio. Fantastic podcasts. Uh, give those a listen. They've got they've talked about this passage before. It's really interesting. But um, <clears throat> so as you can see, the the, the descendants of Ham. Right, they were cursed to be slaves, uh, and due to lower average intelligence, they tend to be subservient to all other races on the world stage. I mean, all throughout human history, for the most part, uh, Africa has been kind of dominated by the rest of the the, uh, the peoples of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rightfully or unrightfully, you know, you can have the whole col- colonialism discussion at some other time. But for the purposes of our discussion, that's it's kind of their. They're, uh, yeah, it's how it's went. It's how it's been. So now we, both Ricky, Bobby, and I are descendants of Indo-Europeans. Um, we were blessed by God, uh, that is the descendants of Japheth, blessed by God, and quote, dwell in the tents of Shem. In other words, God was offered to the Semites first, the Jews and Arabs, first, but they murdered Christ, their Messiah. Mm-hmm. They gave up their tent so to speak, for Europeans to dwell in it. We, the descendants of Japheth, became the bearers of Christendom and were blessed for it for quite a long time. And uh, we're starting to re- shirk our responsibilities as the bearers of Christendom now, and we're suffering for it, but uh, uh, that's a discussion for another episode. <laughs> so Shem's line was also blessed because the king of all the universe would be born from that line, and that is Jesus Christ thus fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. That is, that uh, his seed, that all nations would be blessed by his seed. Um, now, this is coincidentally where a lot of the Christian Zionists get their their uh, heresy on that. Um, but we'll talk about that in the next episode. So, Shem's descendants divided at Jacob and Ishmael. The first, Jacob, would be the, the ancestor of the Jews, and the second, that is Ishmael, the ancestor of Arabs. Uh, and this is actually pretty prominent in uh, Muslim culture. They, they believe that, essentially, that uh, the Jews rewrote the Old Testament and claimed that, uh, that they, the, the Muslims claimed that the Ishmael was really the one who, who had the blessing of God, not not Jacob, uh, like it says in the in the Old Testament. So now the uh, the history of Judaism has it's divided into uh, a, cl- a handful of eras. So first you have Tabernacle Judaism. This is uh, early Judaism. You can read about it in the Old Testament with mobile worship. Um, there's a very detailed description of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, how every, all the materials that were used to build it, the dimensions of it, everything. Um, and they would uh, build that up and tear it down and move around in the desert uh, for, for quite a long time. Right. Until they finally settled in, in Canaan. So that's when they got to, we get to first temple period of Judaism. This is when Solomon's temple was built and we had the reign over Israel by kings, right? Because originally God had instituted a governmental system over the Israelites 
using judges. And then we had the kings. And remember, uh, the prophet, you know, the, the people of Israel were crying out for a king, and the prophet said, hey, uh, why aren't you happy with the system that God gave you? You've been blessed by it. Why aren't you happy? And they're, no, 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 we want to have a king just like the other nations. And then the prophets, uh, I believe it was Sam, yeah, Samuel said, uh, okay, but I will give you a king, but you, I want you to realize what that's going what that's going to mean. And he talked about all the tyranny and stuff that a king would impose upon them. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, so in the first temple period, God's presence filled the temple, right? Um, then we get to the period of Jewish history during the Babylonian captivity. So the first temple, the Temple of Solomon, was destroyed, and the Jews are removed from Judea. This is the actually the the period of Jewish history where we get the Kabbalah. Yep. The Kabbalah is Jewish black magic. Yeah, it's yeah, it's some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, that's a whole rabbit hole in and of itself. Right, we could do a whole podcast just on that. Like, yeah. uh, if you don't know much about it, there's a lot of stuff online you could find about it. Some of it's true, some of it's not. But yeah, yeah. you got to be a little careful. But right. But uh, we actually talked a little bit about this in our Christmas special from last year. So yeah, I, go I ahead and check that. that out. Yeah, that's a good episode. Yeah, it was a wild one too. <laughs> yeah. So the Jews picked a lot of occultic, picked up a lot of occultic concepts and practices from the Eastern mysticism religions that existed in the Babylonian Empire, um, and some ethnic Jews began adopting these taints. Um, and if you know anything about the history of Babylonian Empire, it was a very diverse empire, um, and just every religion you can possibly imagine there. I mean, obviously most of them are gone today, but um, just every little part of the empire had its own religion. It was all extremely wicked stuff. Um, but the Jews, they, they picked up on a lot of those practices. So Right. Yeah, and most most Jews do not practice the Kabbalah, but it is a highly revered tradition in Jewish culture. So right, right, yeah. So they don't look down upon it either. So, anyways, uh, so then we get to the Second Temple period, and this is actually to me the most interesting period because I've I've learned a lot about it. But um, so basically, the Jews returned to Judea from the Babylonian Empire, uh, and that's outlined in the Old Testament. You can read about it. Uh, the Jews returned to Judea. They rebuilt the temple. Uh, that's why it's called Second Temple Period. Uh, God's presence, though, does not fill the temple this time upon consecration like it did during the First Temple Period. Um, the and this is also where the prophecies, sorry, the prophecies of the coming Messiah intensified during this period, and concepts of who the Messiah will be begin to form. This is where, oh, and interestingly enough, there's a lot of writings from this period um, where they start talking about, uh, and there are a few earlier mentions, but this is where they start talking about there being multiple persons in the Godhead. Okay. So, like, they at least believed in two. Uh, Father Stephen Damick from Ancient Faith Radio tends to, he, he says they believe in two and a half, maybe three. <laughs> so, 
but they at least had the concept of um, the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit was kind of... The, there was a lot of disagreement on that in the right. Second Temple writings. but um, <clears throat> So then we get to, after that period, then we have the time of Jesus. Okay. And at this point in time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which are two sects of Judaism, um, they were the most prevalent ones. You also had the... Um, Oh, the name escapes me. Uh, but the oh, the people that um, had the Dead Sea Scrolls out in Qumran. Um, anyway, uh, there was some third, more mystical sect of Judaism. But the two main ones, especially in Jerusalem, were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the Sadducees controlled the temple. All the temple priests, like the Levitical priests, were Sadducees. And the uh, the courts as well in Jerusalem they were mostly mostly run by the Sadducees the religious courts. Um, now the Pharisees thought their Messiah will come though if they just follow the letter of the law enough. Right. So um, of course prior to this during the Second Temple period leading up to the time of Jesus. You, they, the Pharisees had developed this tradition of where they would never say the name of God, so they would never say Yahweh. Hmm. The reason why they did this is because um, they, you know, it says, "Thou shalt not take the Lord, the name of the Lord, in vain." Right. Yeah. So, in typical Jewish fashion, <laughs> they said, "Oh, fine. Yeah, we'll just never say the name then," <laughs> which defeats the which <laughs> defeats the spirit of the law. Yeah. But they're upholding the letter of the law, and that's all they cared about. So, and they also invented hundreds and hundreds of extra laws and rules, and all the rules were designed to sort of um, skirt around the Levitical law, right? And uh, it was really kind of shysty, to be honest. But anyway, that's that's a, that's why Jesus really was not happy with them. He called them a sinful generation. So, yeah. Um, anyways, so the Pharisees, uh, they became extremely legalistic and abandoned the spirit of the law. This is demonstrated throughout the New Testament. Uh, you can look at John uh, chapter 8, verse 44. That's where Jesus calls the Pharisees the children of Satan. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 through 26, we find... Um, eventually, the Jews murder Christ and curse themselves in the process. Now, this is very important um, to traditional Christian doctrine. Now, this is anathema to Christian Zionists, you know, the ones that believe that the Jews are God's chosen people. Right. Um, but traditionally speaking, prior to the 1800s, 1800s America specifically, Every Christian on earth had this interpretation of this passage. And that is that when the Jews murdered Christ, they gave up, and that, thus rejecting their Messiah, rejecting God, because he was God. When they did that, they gave up their chosen status. They were no longer Israel. 
Yeah. They were they were antichrists, really. I mean, by definition. So um, this is when the Christians officially became the inheritors of all the promises God, God made about Israel, about how he would protect them and yada, yada, yada. Um, and you can see this language actually in the New Testament. It's not like it was some kind of doctrine that was invented later. Mm-hmm. And we can see this as early as... Um, Let's see, I believe it was 60, I could be getting this wrong, but I believe it was 60 AD when Revelation was written, approximately, circa 60 AD. And you can read um, Cole from uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, and Revelation chapter 3, verse 9. All right, so I'm going to read from these. Uh, so, Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Yeah, and, and notice, notice what he says there. He says, who say they are Jews but are not. Right. Right, because realistically speaking, the Jews, not in an ethnic sense, but in a religious sense, ceased to exist once they rejected their Messiah. Right. Christians are the real Jews. It's kind of why Jesus was here, in a sense, also. like He yeah. wanted them to change what they were doing. Yeah, he, he was the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. Yeah. He was everything they were supposed to be looking for. But when God you know, came, literally, he came to earth they rejected to them. Him. <laughs> they killed him. It's like, they, they didn't did just everything. reject him, they killed him, yeah. They, they murdered him, they slandered him, they made up lies about him, they called his mother a whore. They, like, they they eventually started saying that he's in hell and that he's, boil, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, I'm sure, you know, a lot of Christian Zionists out there love Ben Shapiro, there is an interview you can find, if you do a little bit of research, there's an inter- interview you can find where somebody asked uh, Ben Shapiro about his views on Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and, of course, Ben, Sh- ben Shapiro first kind of, like, tries to, you know, sidestep it, but then the interviewer kind of pressed and asked mm-hmm. and made him answer the question, and... Ben Shapiro straight up said, "Ooh, thunderstorm!" Ben Shapiro straight up said that that his view is the typical Jewish view. Those are his words, and that they believe that Jesus was essentially a false prophet who tried to re- lead a rebellion against the Romans and got what was coming to him. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, yeah. So, you want to read uh, 3, verse 9 as well? Yeah. All right. Um, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and learn that I have loved you. Right. Now, now think about that, right? Because if you think back to Paul... Paul was murdering Christians thinking that God loved him for doing so, that he was doing it for God. 
Hmm. But then he had that experience on the road to Damascus. Right. And he learned who Jesus loved. And that Jesus was God. You know, why, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Yeah. And and the Jews today, they, I mean, if you read their literature, they literally believe, and this is an ethnic thing, too. They believe that... Um, that uh, that the Jews are the only people that God loves and that everybody else just exists to serve them. Right. That's, yeah, and if you do any research at all, I mean, you can find that out if you... Yeah, just read in. some... Read some... some I, what I would recommend is don't read literature that is designed for people that are not Jews to read. Yeah, read what they're reading. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because they put out a lot of stuff that's designed for uh, people that are not them to read, especially Christians to read, mm -hmm. that are not really honest. Uh-oh. We lost power, but we're still rolling. No, we're not rolling. No, we are rolling. Hello, hello, hello. Mic check. We're good. We lost power in the, in the studio, but luckily we're on laptops. Yeah. So, we are good. Okay. It's a little scary. Not you, scary, but I thought everything messed up. Can you, like, stop the recording and then we can restart? Because we probably lost power to our mics and stuff. No, we we didn't. It, the power's coming from your laptop. Oh, hell That's yeah. why I was saying, okay, we're good. For a second there, Based. I was like, oh, crap. But Yeah. Yeah, we're good. You know, okay. the weather can't stop us. We're getting this podcast. Out. We're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So anyway, point is, uh, Christians are the real Israel. Jews are a bunch of frauds. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this to be brings, blunt. yeah, I mean, just to be frank. So this brings us to the next section of Jewish history. Um, this is the destruction of the temple and the Jewish diaspora. So <clears throat> Jesus, if, and you can read this in the Gospels, Jesus prophesied that the temple would be destroyed. Right? And long and behold, 70 AD, after the Bar Kokhba re rebellion, the Bar Kokhba rebellion, the Romans leveled the temple, the center of their religion, and the Jews dispersed. Right. Yes. Now, um, it's kind of interesting because it's sort of like, well, you didn't get it the first time around when Jesus was alive. So then God tried to like really rub it in and say, hey, hey, come on. Like, this is not what I've tried. Like, I've, I've tried to save you people mm -hmm. and you're, you murdered my son and... Let's see if you get it this time. But they didn't. Now, what's crucial about this, right, is um, the significance of this in the next phase of Jewish history, which is really the beginning of modern Judaism, right, the Judaism yeah. we see today. And that is the birth of rabbinic Judaism. So with the loss of the, of the Jewish temple, the Jews had to reinvent their religion. And the reason why this is so is because if you read the Old Testament, all of the religious practices of the Jews centered around the temple. 
If you do not have the temple, you do not have Judaism. At least not a Judaism that Abraham would recognize. Right. Because it's it's all a cycle of sacrifices at the temple. It's all mm-hmm. designed and festivals are all centered around the temple. You don't yeah. have it, you don't have Judaism. So um since the temple was destroyed, they the Jews departed from the systems of the Old Testament. And they invented rabbis. Now, now rabbis, obviously, Jesus was a rabbi. They did have rabbis before, mm-hmm. uh, you know, teachers. But instead of them being sort of an auxiliary role... Now they were kind of at the forefront of it. Yeah, they were the center of the religion now. Right. Whereas the temple was the center before. So, eventually, the Talmud would supplant the Torah as the authorita- authoritative text for the religion. So... Now the Talmud is, um, the Talmud is actually a collection of the um, the sayings and teachings and writings even of the rabbis, and it started getting collected around 200 A.D. Um, and you actually have two different versions of it. There's the Babylonian Talmud and the Palestinian Talmud, and um, they're but they're basically the same. Um, but we'll get more into specifics after this little break. Cue All elevator right. music. Breakover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Got some uh, sizzling hot, juicy nuggets of uh, secret Jewish knowledge here for you. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right. on to the fundamental beliefs of Judaism. So, obviously, we're not going to go over every little bit of, of their beliefs, but mm-hmm. this is the high points, so to speak. Right. So, Trying to give you guys a kind of a perspective of it all. Yeah. So the the central text of Judaism, unlike what many people believe, is not the Torah. It is the Talmud. Uh, And by the way, I just want to say, for this section of the podcast, I actually interviewed a guy who grew up Jewish. Okay. I interviewed our uh, friend The Nose. The um, Nose. A few times. (laughs) Uh, just to, you know, kind of talk over Judaism with them. So mm-hmm. it's not like I'm just pulling this out of nowhere. Right. And I also, of course, researched, uh, did my reading and stuff. So, um, <clears throat> so the central text is the Talmud, not the Torah. Uh, so nominally, the central text of Judaism is the Torah, nominally, in name only, uh, specifically the Pentateuch. So the Torah is not, generally speaking, not the entirety of the Old Testament, the Christian Old Testament. Right? So it is the first five books, or the Pentateuch, which means five books. Okay. So that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But in practice, the Talmud takes a preeminent position. 
So the Talmud contains the spirit, in quotes, of the Torah, um, even in cases where the Torah says something is explicitly wrong, like murder, the mm-hmm. Talmud's teachings is what is followed instead. Right, and this is where people get kind of the wrong idea, I think, about Judaism, and they're saying, well, it's just the Old Testament. <laughs> You'd think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, uh, the, that's not necessarily true. Like It's not at all. true at all. <laughs> like, it's uh, something that I know, I mean, I... I won't go too much into this, but I grew up Presbyterian, and we mm-hmm. were taught that. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I grew up Presbyterian, too, and we were taught that. So, yeah, it's like, there's. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think it's kind of interesting, actually, um, when I was talking to our friend The Nose, uh, who we've had on before, Brazilian uh, BJJ Evola. Yep. Uh, about... He was a veteran. So he actually was, I don't want to give too much information out about him, but he was um, arguing with his cousin about Judaism because she is sort of re-embracing her Jewish roots. And he was constantly saying things like, but hold on, the Torah says yada, yada, yada. And then she would say, she would say yes, but Rabbi yada, yada, yada says in the Talmud, da, 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 da. So it's the, like okay, yeah, but the town, the Torah says explicitly this, yeah. So wh- you you tell me in that scenario which one is the authoritative text for Judaism? Yeah, it's yeah. So the second fundamental uh, tenet of Judaism is Loxism. So Loxism is the belief that Jews. Ethnically speaking, by the way, and then there's a whole religious half to this as well, but ethnically speaking, because Judaism is not, Judaism is a religion, but the Jews are, are a people, like an ethnic group as well. So I'm sure a lot of people know about that. It's the belief, Loxism is the belief that Jews are inherently superior to Gentiles. Right. And that's racist. <laughs> Basically, like I hate to be that guy, but but it actually is like when you get down to it because these they're they're Jewish people are an ethnic group, yes. It's like their religion is racist almost, like in a sense, right? And you know you know what I hate the most about this, right? Because I don't personally speaking. I don't give a crap if somebody is racist or not. Right. I don't I mean, care. It's, it's not really. It doesn't. It's not. It doesn't affect me in the same way. I feel like it would affect yeah. some people. I mean, even if they're like being explicitly racist towards me, I don't really care. Right. I think that there's bigger problems in the world than that. Like. Yeah. It's like the problem I have with it, though, is that the same people who believe in Loxism that is Jewish supremacy yeah. are crying day and night about the plague that the the that white supremacy is the number one terror problem yeah. it's a mo- number or one they're, threat they're calling us in racist. America like it's it's insane yeah I mean you want to talk <laughs> about white supremacy let's talk about Jewish supremacy really like <laughs> yeah the term white supremacy it really I don't know, I feel like it's it's overused. 
Yeah. And 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 Jewish supremacy is underused. <laughs> yeah, I mean most people don't even realize that they believe that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, actually a uh, a friend of the show um I can't use his real name. Let's call right. him Toku cuz that's <laughs> part of his gamer tag. Uh he actually dated a Jewish girl for a while. Not for very long because the moment that he had um, dinner with her parents, they were like he knows a little bit of Hebrew and mm-hmm. Yiddish, and they were. She brought him there, and they asked him if he was Jewish or not, and he's not, not even really. a little bit Jewish. He's Swedish, and then they started having a conversation in Yiddish, <laughs> and they didn't realize that he knew the Yiddish, right? And so and they were literally talking about like how wh- why are you bringing this goyim to us, like why are you bringing this goy to us? He's just a filthy goy. Yeah, like, you can't. He has no soul. And that's what they believe, though. They that's, literally believe that Gentiles have no soul. It's like, and don't take our word for it. You can look this up. You can yes. go and read about it. It's just read the Talmud. I mean, obviously, <laughs> most people, even rabbis, don't have time to read the entire Talmud because it's like sixty something volumes. But right, it's gigantic. But um, it's in there. I mean, it's it's not hard to find. And ex- another thing too. So this word goyim that we're throwing around, it means Gentile, but like goyim has more different context to it than just saying Gentile. It's yeah. because it's also an insult. It's kind of like a, like, well, like it a means slur cattle. kind of in a sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it, because it, it means, it means Gentile, but it, they use it like, like referring to their cattle. Yeah. Like these are my, these are my cattle. These are my goyim. And it, Sorry, yeah. I just it, it 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 blows my mind that the same people who believe these things want to lecture us about white supremacy. Yeah, and I mean they're the leaders of the whole anti-racist movement. I mean, don't take my word for it, <laughs> but it's true. So yeah, uh, and they also believe that Gentiles exist only to serve the Jews. Like one of their prophecies that they believe in is that you know when the Messiah comes that. The Messiah will conquer the entire world, and that he will give every Jew so many uh, goyim to be his slaves. Yeah. For all of eternity. Crazy stuff, people. It's crazy stuff. Now let's talk about something that might turn your stomach here. Oh, gosh. Circumcision. So this is (laughs) another fundamental tenet of Judaism. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> the original circumcision that you can find in the Old Testament, uh, in which Abraham was commanded to circumcise his health and his himself and his whole house. Now, originally, uh, they would remove just the tip of the foreskin uh, instead of much further back, like they do today. I mean, just the tip. Just the tip. And later on, a new method was developed as a form of rabbinical revenge uh, in which they removed everything that we have in typical circumcisions today. 
which is right. a lot, a lot more. Which, yeah. I mean, you could do some research on it, but it changes the male organ. Significantly. For good. <laughs> yeah. And it actually... I'm not going to get all into it. If you're interested, if you're interested in this, you should look it up and yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a phenomenal video by a man named Eric Klopper, who is Jewish, by the way. Uh, and he was a researcher at Harvard, and then he gave this lecture in uh, one of the Harvard um, lecture halls, a uh, public lecture called Sex and Circumcision, an American Love Story. You can look it up on YouTube. Um, it's really interesting, very, very interesting, all about circumcision. And it's interesting because he actually was fired after he gave that lecture. And he's been filing lawsuits against Harvard for wrongful termination, among other things, violations of free speech, yada, yada, yada. Right. Because he didn't say anything that wasn't true. But you talk about these things and they will unperson you. Yeah, just watch. We, uh, who knows? Yeah, it might, might be us. over the line. We'll see. We'll see, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, in a Jewish circumcision, the mole, moil, uh, which is a rabbi specifically for circumcisions, he, prefer, he performs the circumcision. The moil performs the circumcision. The circumcision, the ritual is called the bris, which is short for uh, something, something, something bris. Anyways, I don't speak Hebrew. So the bris has two stages. Uh, first, the moil makes a cut on the, on the infant boy's penis uh, with a very sharp ritual blade. Then, and this is the sick part, so if you got children in the car, you might want to turn it off right now. Okay, so the moil sharpens his long fingernails. He keeps his fingernails really long just for this, just for doing brisses. And he sharpens the fingernails. Then he uses his fingernails to rip and tear the remainder of the foreskin from the, the baby boy. It's a pretty bloody process. The you know the baby's screaming the whole time because it's an incredibly painful experience. Right. I mean, you know, it's imagine getting kicked in the balls like a hundred times. It's very painful, um, and they've actually done studies and they found that uh, there are signs of sexual trauma mm. on infants, like for the rest of their life. The ones that are circumcised versus the ones that are not, it's much, much more likely to have signs wow. of sexual trauma. Well, I mean, it makes sense, though, because it's probably very painful. Yeah. And you're, it's like your brain, it probably imprints something kind of, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. It's kind now, of wild. Yeah. Now, obviously, like a medical circumcision, it's still very painful. Right. But it's not... Um, it's, they do it in a different manner. Well, they use sharp implements. They don't yeah. use fingernails. Right. Like which to me, just tear. thinking about that, that makes that makes no sense to me because imagine like I just know like what about infection and yeah. how dirty fingernails are? That's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I actually I forgot that there is a third stage. I forgot to put it on our outline here. Okay. Um. But anyway, so if any if any foreskin remains. The bris is considered religiously invalid. 
so the moils, when they're performing brisses, tend to be extremely thorough, even to a fault. I mean, they're really carving it. So just ask our buddy the no- the nose, by the way. Hmm. Because you know he had one of these. Oh wow! Just ask ask him ask him to show you his scars. Well, I so- think I'm good on that, but. Uh- <laughs> Anyways, that's, it's, that's it's pretty bad. So, anyways, because of this, this is why so many Jewish boys suffer from mutilated genitals, like deformed. Almost. I mean, they're not deformed, but they're like very, a lot of times they're very, um, they lose some functionality because the moil has, has ripped so much flesh away. Right, there's, yeah. Yeah, there. I mean, there are even cases where they lose the tip of it, like the the tip of not the foreskin, but like the right. Yeah. So, anyways, and then then there's the third part of the bris, which is where the moil then puts his mouth on the child's bloody penis and um, sucks it. Whoa. It sounds crazy, and but this is legal in the United States, by the way. That I know, yeah. It's just and it happens wild. regularly. Every day, there's brisses being performed, where literally elder, elderly men, this. yeah, elderly men are sucking the dicks of little boys. That's disgusting. Bloody dicks. Yeah, and that's actually why there is. Um, there's such a problem with infant syphilis and infant genital warts and um, not syphilis. What am I thinking of? Freaking the one that causes cold sores. Herpes. Infant oh. herpes uh, among, among Jewish children because these rabbis, these moils, okay. are out there. I mean, a lot of t- I'm not gonna lie. A lot of them are like doing some very sinful things with other people, and catching herpes on their mouth, and then when they suck the bloody penis, they give it to the child for the rest of their life. See, this needs to be looked at, man. I don't understand how that's legal in the United States of anywhere. I mean, Religious freedom. All places. Yeah, they say know. it's religious freedom. The court has ruled on this several times. It's religious freedom, according to the U.S. That's ridiculous. It's pretty wild, but that's where we're at. I feel like so. that's a failure of the court, in a sense. It's a miscarriage of justice. Yeah. Yeah. So. Moving on. That's why Eric <laughs> Klopper got so mad about it. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, so there are also, there are a few different sects of Judaism, Um so there's the ultra-Orthodox, which includes people like Hasids or Hasidic, the ones with like the, you'll see them a lot of times with like the, the black robe things and uh, like the tall hats. You know what I'm talking about, Cole? The Hasidic Jews with the black robes and the tall hats, and they got the big long curls on the sides. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they got the funny little uh, sideburns. <laughs> yeah, I mean they all they all have the sideburns, but oh. the, the ones that I'm sure you've seen videos of them, the ones that wear the black robes. Okay. Yeah. And they all are dressed the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are Hasids. 
Okay. okay. Hasidic Jews. So then you also have the Orthodox, which is very different from Orthodox Christian, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, and then you have conservative and reformed. Those are the mainline categories. The But in the United States and abroad, the vast majority of Jews are reformed Jews. Mm. Okay. So the reformed sect of Judaism, they're often very woke, so to speak, and believe in things like lesbian rabbis, gay marriage, etc. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and actually, by the way... Because I've seen some stuff like that, and I was confused. Like I was like, wait a minute. Well, a lot of it... You can, you can trace this stuff back to the Talmud, though. There's a lot of that in there. Hmm. Or like the idea of genderqueer, that comes from the Talmud... Yes. Yes. What? Yeah, there are like five different genders in the Talmud. There's men who dress like women. There's like yada, yada, yada. And they're considered different genders. And then there's like the belief that um, the Holy Spirit is feminine. Oh, gosh. But they don't call it the Holy Spirit. It's the... Right, it's right. a whole. It's a whole different thing. Anyways, so those are the... That's the fundamental beliefs of Judaism. And we're going to take a break. All right. Probably uh, need to go, you know, stare in the mirror and think about your life. Yeah. After Look in the mirror. Thinking about baby penis so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> That's just, man. It's gross. Enjoy this elevator music. And we're back from the break. Oh, yeah. I hope you've regained your appetite there. Yeah. That was yeah, some pretty kind sick of stuff. Dark, dark stuff right there. But we had to get through it, you know. And it's something you got to know about. Yeah, so. there is evil out in the world, and every man should should be able to confront it and look it in the face and stare it down and say, "I will destroy you." <laughs> this is true. This yeah. is true. So, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the Talmud. Why don't we? Yeah. Um, so the Talmud is a compilation of teachings of the rabbis. As we've said before, it was uh, it began to be compiled in the 200s AD. Nobody knows exactly the the year, but it was in the 200s sometime. So, uh, the first section of the Talmud is called the Mishnah, which covers religious cases brought before the rabbis. The rabbis would then form opinions on the case and explain their reasoning based on the spirit of the Torah. So the second section and the bulk of the Talmud is called the Gemara. The Gemara is rabbinical analysis of the Mishnah. This is why the Talmud goes so far into left field away from the Old Testament. And so in other words, you have, you have the Torah, right, which is uh, inspired by God, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have the Mishnah, which is 
legal cases that are supposed to reflect the spirit of the Torah, whatever the hell that is supposed to mean. <laughs> and then you have the Gemara, which is analysis of the Mishnah. So you have analysis of analysis of the Torah. Right. So you have two degrees of separation there from anything that's even related to God. Hmm. And that's why you can go so far into left field as you're about to see, like so far away from anything that, I mean, I know a lot of Christians out there are going to find some of this stuff absolutely horrifying. But it's in the Talmud. You can look it up. We're, providing, we're going to provide the references here. So you can find all kinds of sick moral standards in the Talmud, such as, here we go, Moed Katan. You can find this in Moed Katan 17a. That's M-O-E-D-K-A-T-T-A-N 17a. Right. Says, if a Jew is tempted to do evil, he should go to a city where he is not known and do the evil there. Yeah, so in other words, don't just, you know, resist temptation and not do something evil if you're Jewish. Go to some other city where there's not Jews and do it there so you won't bring dishonor upon the Jews. Right. How, that's so twisted. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Then we have Sanhedrin 58b says... If a Gentile hits a Jew, the Gentile must be killed. But if a Jew hits a Gentile, there's to be no punishment. It says it elsewhere in the... In the anyway. Anyways, so Sanhedrin 57a says... A Jew need not pay a Gentile the wage, wages owed to him for work. So in other words, the Gentiles are to be slaves to the Jews... They, the Jews have no, if a Jew hires you, they have no obligation to pay you. Right. Religiously. So then Baba Metzia says, uh, in, uh, sorry, Baba Metzia 24a says, If a Jew finds an object lost by a Gentile, it does not have to be returned. Sanhedrin 57a says, when a Jew murders a Gentile, there will be no death penalty. What a Jew steals from a Gentile, he may keep. <laughs> like, see, what? See the loxism here? This is why so many of them believe in Jewish supremacy, because of this stuff right here. Baba Kama 113a says, Jews may use lies to circumvent a Gentile. And actually, funny enough, uh, Muslims actually have a similar standard for non-Muslims. So they believe that, right. um, and I think we talked about this in our Muslim episode, uh, that it is permissible, it is moral to lie and misrepresent Islam to the unbeliever. Right. So that the unbeliever would think well of Islam. And I, I'm pretty sure we did. We talked about that in the... Uh Islam episode. Yeah. So you can tell people it's a religion of peace, even though if it isn't a religion of peace, just right. to get them to convert or to not feel threatened by Muslims. Mm -hmm. So Yabamoth, Yabamoth 98a says, All Gentile children <laughs> are animals. Well, that's a wonderful moral standard there. So 
Aboda Zara 36B says, Gentile girls are in a state of filth from birth. Now, I think it's kind of interesting because I remember, so Jeffrey Epstein, um, what was her name? Virginia, Virginia something. You want to look it up, Jamie? All right. Let's see here. Just look up uh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Virginia. It's it's part of how they how uh, Jeffrey Epstein got exposed, because there was this woman that uh, ever since she was like thirteen or fifteen, something like that, that he had been um, raping and pimping out to, you know, Virginia Roberts Giffre. G-I-U-F-F-R-E is the last name. Oh, Giffer. Giffer? Okay. Giffer. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think yeah. that's the one. So anyway, she yeah, she talked about and this kind of she kind of got um uh she got censored for this actually. But I think it was ABC News was interviewing her about her experience with Jeffrey Epstein mm-hmm. and that whole thing. And she one of the things she said that I thought was very interesting is she said that um that they were very, uh, they would degrade her a lot, and right. treat her like she was nobody, and they would they told her the reason why they did that. Whenever she would say something about it, is because she deserves nothing because she is not Jewish. Hmm. Now, obviously. I'm not saying that Jeffrey Epstein represents all Jews. Right. Or Ghislaine Maxwell represents all Jews. Because actually, I think if I remember right, Ghislaine Maxwell was the one that was uh, saying those things to her. But hmm. it's a prevalent belief among them. So, right. Anyways, because Gentile girls are in a state of filth from birth. So, moving on. Uh, Sanhedrin 55b says. A Jew may marry a three-year-old girl as long as she is three years old and a day. Mm-hmm. And Sanhedrin 54B says... Um, 54B? Oh, sorry. Lost my place there. A Jew may have sex with a child as long as the child is less than nine years old. Wow. I'm getting uh, Islam vibes here. I'm getting Jeffrey Epstein vibes too, right? Although a lot of those were over nine years old, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, just... and it's it's interesting because if you look uh, statistically, everybody want everybody wants to throw a fit about the Catholic priests priests diddling little boys, which there is a problem with that, okay? Right. But if you look at it statistically, the group that is statistically most likely like clergy wise is most likely to be guilty of molesting children. Right. Are rabbis. Yeah. I've looked at some some of the data on that. By a lot. Especially in New York. Multiple times more likely than a Catholic <laughs> priest. Yep. New York. Yeah. Uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh finally for this uh oh, not finally. There we are. Ye- Yabamoth sixty three A says Adam has sex with all of the animals in the Garden of Eden. What? Yeah. A little, little different than the uh, Genesis I remember. <laughs> oh, man. Menohoth, 
uh, 43b through 44a says, Jewish men are obligated to pray to God, thanking that he did not make them a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, that's... Paints a pretty good picture. Yeah, and uh, so the Talmud also has a has some especially blasphemous things to say about the Virgin Mary, the Theotokos, and Jesus Christ. So in Sanhedrin 106a, it says, She who was the descendant of princes and governors played the harlot with carpenters. This is part of the Jewish tradition that Jesus was born of a virgin but that his mother was actually a whore to a Roman soldier. Wow. Yeah, and that's actually, um, there was a, well, it's supposed to be a comedy. I didn't find it very funny. But there was a Netflix show there for a while. It was written by Jewish writers. I think I know what you're talking about. Where they depicted Mary, mother of Jesus, as a prostitute. And they actually get it from the Talmud here. Wow. Yeah. So Sanhedrin uh, 45A or 43A says, Jesus and his disciples practiced sorcery and black magic, led Jews astray into adultery, idolatry, idolatry, and were sponsored by foreign Gentile powers for the purpose of subverting Jewish worship. Wow. That's an interesting conspiracy theory there. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Shabbos 104b says, Jesus learned witchcraft in Egypt, and to perform miracles, used procedures that involved cutting his flesh, which is also explicitly banned in the Bible. Yep. Wow. He was... Major accusations. Yeah, it's actually... There's a specific... uh, name for that kind of magic it's called that's what's called blood magic because you're sacri- you're cutting your and the native americans used to practice this a lot hmm. uh, where you would cut yourself uh, or inflict extreme pain upon yourself as sacrifice to feed the entities you would feed the entities pain hmm. and blood so that's that they wild. would do things for you yeah so then uh, Gittin 57a says, Jesus is in hell boiling or being boiled in feces. This is something I've heard that they about before that's just sick. Yeah, and actually in the Babylonian Talmud, uh, Gittin 57a says that Jesus is in hell boiling in his own in a lake of semen. Of, yeah, of his own semen. By the way. It wasn't enough that they killed Christ. They got to go and do this too. Yeah, they blaspheme him day and night. Yeah. Wow. Because see, when the temple was destroyed, they had to remake, and, and Christianity was on the rise, right? And they were not happy about this. A lot of Jews were leaving for Christianity, right? And so they had to remake their entire religion and make it. A response. They're reactionaries against Christianity, and that's why so much of Judaism is is explicitly 
against Christ. Like mm. they renounce him regularly. He is like, like if you were to convert to Judaism, mm-hmm. so they don't make you renounce Buddha. They don't make you renounce uh, uh, Allah, Muhammad, or or anybody else. But you do have, even if you're not a Christian, you have to renounce Jesus by name. It's you have to say that he is a false prophet. Yeah. Why? Why is that? You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Hmm. What you doing there, Goyen? Or uh, Rabbi? <laughs> what you do there, Rabbi? So, Sanhedrin 43a says, this is the last one. Claims Jesus was crucified for practicing sorcery. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. In the words of Ben Shapiro, he was a false prophet that got what was coming to him. Yeah, that's, uh, that's wild, man. So uh, I hope that gives you guys a pretty good idea of the kind of things you can find in the Talmud. Right, yeah. Um, And finally, uh, in preparation for our next episode, which is going to be on Christianity, in preparation for that next full episode, at least, uh, let's talk a little bit about Christian-Jewish relations throughout the ages. Okay. So, of course, early on... The uh, Jews are murdering Christians in the first couple centuries. Of course, you had the most famous case, Apostle Paul, but he wasn't the only one. Um, A lot of Christians were being persecuted by the Jews because they were, oh, they're, needless to say, they were very angry because Christianity really threatened a lot of the Jewish power structure in the region. Um. Plus, they felt like they were blaspheming God by saying that he had a son, and and uh, both the Jews and the Romans were upset that they were eating the flesh of their God, our God, you know, communion. Right. So, anyways, that was it was not a good start in the relations between the two religions. And then, of course, we had the Christian Crusades. And I know we talked a little bit about this during the Islam episode, that it's it's mm-hmm. fairly misunderstood. Like, people think that um, the Christians just one day decided to, you know, the Pope decided just one day to go kill a bunch of Muslims. But that's not what happened. Right. But, yeah, part of the Christian Crusades, actually, and I, I read this... Um, I was actually in a book written by a Jewish guy. I can't remember what it was called, but um, he was talking about how during the Crusades, uh, after a while, the Crusaders started killing a lot of the Jews. Because at first, they didn't start out killing the Jews. Really? Everybody wants to pretend like they were, you know, they would go into the Holy Land and then, like, just start killing the killing Jews. Him. From all these people are killing more than just the Muslims. Uh, Muslims. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they. But originally, actually. They would spare the Christians and the the Jews, and they would just kill the Muslims. But, but what happened was, after they had conquered a few cities, and then the Muslims started taking back some cities. One thing that was that would often happen is the Jews that were in those cities would actually betray the city and open up the gates for the Muslims and work with the Muslims to help them conquer the city. Really? Yes. And because of that, 
the um, the Christian Crusaders started killing the Jews right alongside the Muslims whenever they would encounter him in the Holy Land. Okay. Yeah, so say what you will about the Crusades, but it's not like it happened for nothing. Right, right. Yeah, so. Then, of course, we had the Inquisition, which um, was... A lot of people have some misunderstandings about that, too, obviously. Uh, But it started out in the Spanish Empire because, you know, as we talked about in our Islam episode, there was the Reconquista in which um, the Muslims had taken over huge swaths of France and Spain and southern Italy. And so the forces of God, forces of the Europeans, um, fought hard you know, city by city to push them back into North Africa. And so what they had, they left behind was a lot of these cities that for over a couple hundred years had been under the rule of, of Islam. Right. And so there were a lot of Muslims there and there were a lot of Jews there too, but there are a lot of Muslims there. And so the inquisition, they were essentially trying to, um, uh, get these people to convert back to Christianity. Um, and so they were trying to drive these, you know, pagan religions out of their, their, uh, kingdoms. So, and then, uh, so blood libel, this is something that I believed for a very long time until just recently. Um, now I have a bit, a bit more complex of a, you know, uh, thoughts about it. So I'm those, anybody who's, who's studied, uh, Jewish history and Jewish Christian relations has probably heard about this blood libel. The idea is, is that, um, and this comes from very early on in the middle ages. The idea was that, uh, the Christians thought that the Jews, would practice uh, ritualistic blood sacrifices uh, in de- in various Kabbalistic uh, practices. Anyway, I left you some space there to edit. So, anyways, uh, so um, because they believed that they were committing ritualistic blood sacrifices, there was a whole lot of like popular uprisings against the Jews in these regions. It's not the only reason why they're uprising against them, but um, funny enough, there are actually a lot of legal cases where various Jews would were getting charged with murder and sometimes convicted of murder, uh, where they were liter- they were literally kidnapping the children, the babies of Christians and the, and then sacrificing them for various rituals. Oh, wow. And this is not as fake as you would think. That's the thing. Like I used to think this was the most ridiculous thing ever and that it was completely fake. Yeah. And then I read a, a, a book by a Jewish historian, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, it's called Passovers of blood. I recommend everybody read it. Huh? Uh, it's a very. It's a little hard to get through, though. I'll be honest. It's very because um, it was originally written in German, and oh, okay. the translation's kind of clunky. Right. But it's very interesting. Um, but I learned that a lot of these um, 
a lot of there was some a lot of legitimacy to this. Like there were a lot of people where like evidence had come forward proving that these people had actually stolen Christian children and they were actually using them in ritualistic blood sacrifices. Wow. And yeah. And so <laughs> Yeah, and so now a lot of times um and you can find this in like Heretz and the Jewish Forward and stuff like that, a lot of Jewish pro-Jewish publications. Okay. Uh, you can find a lot of times like people saying things critical of the Jews or like blaming them for various things. A lot of times they will call it a blood libel because huh. they program people so much to think that that's completely false and that automatic, oh, anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism. Right. You know? <laughs> and they'll liken it to that. But it was real. That's the thing. It was real. Huh. So, now, it wasn't real in every case. There was actually a, a fair amount of paranoia about it, too. Right. But, like, it was more real than people think. Huh. And it was not isolated incidences. So, uh, we also have the another case of interesting Jewish-Christian relations, the... the public publishing of the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion. Have you ever heard of this book, Cole? I don't think so. Okay, I I used to have a copy. I don't know where it's at. but um, So a Russian priest actually, uh, I don't remember the whole story behind it, but essentially he, he discovered the writings of these the meetings of these Jewish people in Russia that were calling themselves the learned elders of Zion. And they had come together and they had agreed upon these protocols. That's what they call them. And basically plan of action. Okay. (laughs) And I encourage, I encourage everybody to, you know, go uh, look this up. They say, people say that it's been debunked, but uh, there's actually a fair amount of corroborating evidence. Just look into it. Um, but uh, the it's, be, it's been debunked insofar as people have basically repeatedly claimed that it's been debunked, but there's, no, there's not been an actual debunking. They just say, oh, it's debunked. Right. And then they repeat it until everybody believes Typical. it. Typical. Yeah. You know. Oh, it's been debunked because CNN <laughs> says it's debunked. Well, who did CNN quote? Well, CNN quoted ABC News, and ABC News quoted, you know, the some other communist conspiracy website. <laughs> so, anyway. But in this book, they, they talk about how, um, uh, well, for one thing, they want to uh, destroy the family unit. Uh, they, in order to weaken the... Uh, the, the Goyim own oh, one of the things they talk about explicitly or explicitly in it is setting the Goyim's women against the men. Interesting. Another thing that they talk about is getting the Goyim's children out of the home as much as possible and into public schools. Also happening. That's that is that's real interesting right there. Uh, they also talk about uh, one of them is also reducing uh, world population. You can actually see this on the uh, Georgia Guidestones as well. I don't. Th- I think the number is, is a little higher in the Protocols mm-hmm. of Learned Elders of Zion than just 500 million like it is on the George or was on the yeah. Georgia Guidestones. 
But um, anyways, there's a whole slew of different things in that book. It's very interesting. I recommend everybody read it. There's a there's a copy that um, I used to have that I really enjoyed uh, with a forward by Tex Mars, uh, which I recommend that one. So um, Tex Mars was a hit, uh, professor of history at the University of Texas. Oh. So before they fired him for anti-Semitism. Typical. Yeah. <laughs> so. Then, of course, and I think this is the most impactful on the modern world as far as any event of any, any instance of Jewish-Christian relations. But most people do not realize that it was an instance of Jewish-Christian relations. Okay. Because they don't think about it in those terms. They think about it in, polit- in purely political terms. And that is the Bolshevik Revolution. Oh, yeah. Because the Bolshevik Revolution, and you can actually read about this. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this. Vladimir Lenin said this. Trotsky said this. The Bolshevik Revolution was an explicitly Jewish revolution. Right. The Jews are all at the heads. Uh, and, and I love the way Alexander Solzhenitsyn says it. He was a, he was a Russian guy that suffered through the gulags and wrote an excellent book about it uh, called um, Gulag Archipelago. Yeah. Yeah. And then he also wrote a book, and this is very unfortunate because it's very hard to find an English translation of it. It does exist, though. A buddy of mine sent one to me. But uh, he wrote a book about the history of Jews in Russia that if anybody has the notion to read, they should. It's called 200 Years Together. And it culminates in um, the communist state. It's very interesting. So, but one of the things he says is that um, something to the effect of uh, one of the things that that plagues the Russian people so much, and I think is one of the most misunderstood things about Russia, is that the the October Revolution was a Russian revolution. It was not Russian in any sense of the word. It was a Jewish revolution. Yeah. And the reason why it was Jewish, so in Jewish social teachings, they have something called tikkun olam. And tikkun olam is um, basically a set of how, it's, it's, very, it's a collection of writings about how like, Jews should interact with the world and how they, sh- what should they, how they should try to change the world. It's got environmentalism, it's got communism in it, all kinds of things, right? Feminism, all the all the good stuff, right? <laughs> and uh, the Bolshevik Revolution was essentially um, the Jews had led a uh, a revolution against the Russian czars and murdered the Russian czars, who were explicitly Orthodox Christians and Christian, like they they were very pro Christian. The right. czars were, okay. Um, some more than others, but they murdered them and they instituted a quote secular state, an atheist, an explicitly atheistic state. Oh. And everybody, and a lot of people will say in response to this that oh no, it couldn't have been a Jewish revolution because they killed a lot of Jews. Yes, because okay, 
So they killed a lot of Jews, but the people the people leading it were Jews, and they thought of it as a Jewish revolution. And the reason why they killed those Jews is not because of their ethnicity. It was because they were not atheistic Jews. They still held on to a little bit of the shred of the Abrahamic right. Judaism. That is a belief in, a, in one God. Yeah. Um. And because they held on to that, and the, and the communists, the Jewish communists didn't want any form of religion at all, except for the state religion, which is worship of the state. Everything right. to the state, nothing to yourself. You will give your children up to the state if need be. Right. <clears throat> because of that, they they killed a lot of Jews, but not 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 all that many as as, as a lot of people think too. But um, so, but you see actually in the um, in the under the Soviet Union, uh, they murdered tens of millions of Christians. Christian Russians. Right. And uh, they also sought to promote um, communist revolutions the world around. And it's interesting, if you do some digging, how many Jews had a big part to play in these revolutions. The revolution in Angola, the revolution in China, Mao's uh, closest advisor... The one who, by the way, uh, came up with the idea of the Cultural Revolution, the one where they um, they would like basically they, they would go out into the villages and they would they would bring people to the local communist headquarters or whatever, yeah. and they would like just beat the ever living snot out of them, and like make them say all kinds of crazy things like in support of the state that they didn't believe. You know, oh, wow. and, and or they would do the shame marches where if somebody was um, part of some enemy class, if they were too rich or uh-huh. something, they would strip them down naked and they would march them through the streets and like force every all the villagers to throw things at them and to scream at them and yada, yada, yada. And they'd beat them the whole way. The guy who came up with that, Jewish. <laughs> Or Czechoslovakia, that revolution, the communist revolution there, led by Jews. The Hungarian revolution, led by Jews. The Yemenese revolution, the guy who uh, was the right-hand man of the dictator, well, the guy that ended up becoming the dictator, and the Yemenese, Yemenese, the Yemeni, the Yemeni uh, communist revolution, Jewish. The Polish, right, when Poland was under the boot of of the communists, uh, led by Jews, Polish Jews. I'm sure this is all just coincidences, though. Yeah, and it's and it's not like I hate the Jews. It's not about that, right? It, and this really, realistically, it's not. We're not trying to focus in this episode too much on the ethnic component. It's more the religious component. But I think it's important yeah. to point out. It's one comes from the other. The reason why communism is so popular among the Jews. Um, is because of Tikkun Olam, which is all based upon the Talmud. And you do not have modern Judaism without the Talmud. So, right. And this kind of brings us to modern-day Zionism, which is um, 
came from Cyrus Schofield. First was found in the Schofield Bible back in the 1800s, mid-1800s America. Cyrus Schofield was a drunkard and a gambler, and he abandoned his wife and children uh, and shacked up with some lady. But he was a minister. Huh. And he got funding from New York bankers. Oh, you hear the echo? Bankers. New York bankers. They funded him to write a commentary on the Bible. And this is the first time where you actually see like commentary in a copy of the Bible, by the way. And this is where you find the first instances of interpreting scripture in such a way as to make it so that like, like Christians have to, in order to be good Christians, they have to bless the Jews Mm -hmm. and pushing for the formation of a Jewish state and all these things. They, 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 they paid him to publish it. And they also like massively, like they poured a huge amount of money. And these people were not Christians that were funding this, by the way. Uh, poured a massive amount of money into uh, promoting it and getting this Schofield Bible into the hands of so many people. And I would say it was an outrageous success because think of how many evangelical Christians believe that Zionism is part of traditional Christianity. Yeah. And it makes not some vile heresy. It makes no sense. Yeah. When you look at it from the outside, but when they're. Born in it and yeah, surrounded by it's it. It's what they're taught. That's what they believe, and they some of them get very angry when you mention these things. Yeah, and about the only time you find anybody who who doesn't who's a Christian but doesn't believe in it, mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, that person's going to be Catholic, and there's a lot of animosity between the Catholics and the right Protestants, and so that is true. Yeah, so they're they're not gonna be apt to listen to any arguments about it. Yeah. So, anyways, um, this was not you know this whole thing was not this episode was not to hate on Jews. We love Jews. We're right. the biggest fans of Jews. <laughs> Some say I am the the biggest friend to Israel they've ever had. <laughs> Channeling the Trump here. Oh yeah. But I think it's important that we clear the air. Right. That we all understand what Judaism is. No, it is important, especially when we're looking at Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, how it's all interconnected, Mm -hmm. how it all started. This is, I think this is a cool series to do in a sense. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty excited for the Christian one. I mean... We're going to be Based. tough on it, though. We're going to talk about stuff, The good maybe. times, the bad kind, times. Right. Yeah. Good times and the bad times. Because, you know, yeah. you got to be... Fair and balanced. Right. Right. But... But for real. Not like... CNN. It's going to paint a very clear picture once yeah. we finish it up. And if you listen to each, each part of it, then I would hope that you guys come out of it having a better understanding of the three. And yes. So, this is a banger of an episode, man. Yeah. So, anyway, um, so look forward for the next full episode on Christianity. This is Phalanx Man. Ricky Bobby. Signing out.